Welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. I am Amba Gargarian, Associate Editor at The Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website in print since the year 2000. And my co-host and the editor of the paper, John Tarleton, is out today. Um, but I am excited to be spending the hour with a fellow BAI host and organizer in many other capacities, Desiree Joy Frias, um, uh, who, and we'll be speaking about migration in New York City. Um, in the second half of the show, we will, uh, again, we'll be staying with Desiree. We'll be spending the full hour with her since there's plenty to be talking about around this issue. But we will also invite listeners to call in and join us um, probably around 540. So if you want to stick around for that, uh, make sure to do so. We love being a listener-sponsored radio station and show and love to get the listeners involved. Um, so let's, let's get into it. Let's get in, uh, to this segment. So since June of 2022, when Texas and Arizona began busing people from the southern U.S. border to the New York City, and those people are recently arrived, often, um, asylum seeking migrants. Over 150,000 migrants have arrived here in New York City. And in addition to the busing program, a recent influx of West and North African asylum seekers have added to these numbers. Um, And according to the city of New York, it has opened 210 emergency shelters, which come in very different forms. Um, Some are converted hotels. Some are these large-scale, what they call humanitarian relief centers, which we'll talk about in a bit, end up being not very humanitarian um, and often are just pop-up tents in the faraway corners of the city. Um, And asylum seekers are not being mixed with homeless New Yorkers. They've been sort of purposely separated and are uh, placed in shelters that um, provide less food and services and don't follow the right to shelter rules here in the city, uh, like maintaining a certain amount of space between cots. And um, speaking of the right to shelter in the city, the, the mayor, Mayor Adams, has denounced the 1979 ruling that says that people in New York that don't have a place to sleep um, have the right to shelter under the state constitution. And he has been appealing the state's highest court to reverse this right, um, but which has come to no avail for him. So in December, he actually... I mean, this is a question that we have. And if anybody later during the call in part of the show has, you know, any answer to it is what is is the legal is what the mayor is doing and the city is doing right now with these limits on the shelter stays. Is that legal? And that's something that Indy will be pursuing. But right now, you know, some the city came out, the city, another newspaper came out with an article saying maybe it's not. So so we'll see um, is what the, the mayor's doing legal. So now he's kind of loopholing right to shelter and saying that migrant families only have 60 days before they have to reapply for shelter and that men only have 30 days. Um, and so, like I said, we'll get more into that. But we, you know, the Indy are different folks on the ground, myself included, have been speaking to recently arrived migrants, um, you know, since since well, really, since they've been coming in June and before that. But um, the dominant concern, um, you know, obviously there are, you know, difficult factors with the housing, but really the dominant concern is the desire to work. People have found some day-to-day work under the table gigs, but really most people do not want to work illegally for fear of ruining, you know, or, or damaging um an asylum claim or being, you know, uh, policed for this. So, uh so they don't have access to work permits and many qualify for asylum or TPS temporary protected status. But the process for getting the working permits permits has been extremely slow. And I, you know, one Mauritanian refugee said something to me that has just stuck with me ever since. And he's, you know, I said, you know, at the end of interviews, I would say, what do you, what do you, anything else you want to add, you know? And this, and this guy goes, he wanted to stay anonymous. He goes, ask the government since we are here. Why are they giving us food and shelter, but not letting us work? 
we could support ourselves if we just get working permits. So I think that's the general sentiment. And while access to legal work is the priority, right now housing is an emergency need because of the weather. And so we're going to focus on two major issues for now. And one is this, you know, which is getting into the news now, Floyd Bennett Field. It's the largest version of this, what they call HERC or Humanitarian Relief Center. It's out in South Brooklyn near the Marine Park Bridge. Um, it's near Jamaica Bay for those who are not familiar with that area right on the water and it's a national park that used to be a small airport um, is now policed by national security the feds and there is a large tent city now standing there made out of plastic and corrugated metal um and the closest bus stop is a 30 minute walk away uh and that's where i think 2000 Migrants or so are staying, but here to speak with all of this and break it down is Desiree Joy Frias of the South Bronx Mutual Aid Collective and South Bronx Mutual Aid Collective. Uh, uh, sorry, it's not the Mutual Aid Collective. It is just South Bronx Mutual Aid. South Bronx Mutual Aid is one of a, a wider mutual aid network made up of groups around the city, which is called the Mutual Aid Collective. Please forgive my uh, my misstep there. And as both South Bronx Mutual Aid and the collective itself have been working on the boots on the ground, doing really helpful, incredible, sustaining work um, for a long time now. So welcome to the show, Desiree Joy Frias with South Bronx Mutual Aid. Thanks so much for having me on today, Amber. Absolutely. And thanks for being with us. And thank you to you and for our listeners for bearing with me through that sort of long introduction. But I'm trying to keep some sort of a timeline and a sense of everything that's going on, because this is an issue when you have an issue that even the people that are involved in the heart of it have a hard time just explaining what's going on. That usually means something smells, something stinky. So tell us your latest updates from, you know, the, the, you know, we'll say manufactured migrant crisis or, you know, what's being called the migrant crisis. What type of housing situations are people coming into right now if they're arriving and what are the conditions and what, how is the cold exacerbating things? Basically, what are you seeing? What are you hearing from on the ground right now? Yeah. So my name's Desiree Joy Frias. I use GNA pronouns. Um, like, um, I said, I'm an organizer with South Bronx Mutual Aid. We're a little small but mighty group based out of the South Bronx, my hometown. Um, but we serve people all over the city, including literally at the edge of the city at Floyd Bennett Field, um, on the waterline in radioactive contaminated grounds. Um, so that was actually in 2018, a report came out, um, I believe from the city, uh, that the grounds are contaminated. Um, and yeah, the city is really trying to push migrants to the margins, um, trying to hide them away in places that community groups cannot reach them, in places that, um, you know, a lot of these migrants actually do have family here. Um, and, you know, migrants do have community here, uh, but the isolation is on purpose um, to cut them off from these much needed resources, hospitals, schools, um, work. And the situation is ever changing on the ground. As you said, now there's suddenly a rule that, um, like you said, single men only have 30 days and then families and women only have 60 days, which as an attorney on the face, I can say that um, it's probably illegal to separate people into groups that way based on gender. Um, and now, yeah, he's trying to fight the law that Josh Goldfein and Legal Aid Society fought for in the 70s um, to guarantee that not only migrants, but everyone in this country that comes to New York City has a right to shelter. Um, that's not even the, the, the bar really should be a right to housing, but this is just a bar to shelter, to a roof over your head when it's 10 degrees outside, when it's cold blue, when people are literally freezing to death across the country. We've heard about amputations. In other states where people have lost their limbs due to frostbite, this is very, very serious weather and very serious conditions for people to be in um, unhoused. And it's it's a humanitarian crisis. It's a public health crisis. Um, people are living in congregate shelters. Floyd Bennett has about 2,000. And we're hearing about reports of diseases that no one should have, measles, tuberculosis, pneumonia, um, that are just not being treated because there's limited medical uh, facilities, both in the shelter or they're not being given access to some private 
healthcare companies that we have here in the city running a lot of our major hospitals. What we always tell migrants is that they can go to any hospital that says NYC Health and Hospital. That is our New York City public healthcare hospital system. But the other hospitals, unfortunately, have been turning away migrants. Um, so there's just a multifaceted issue, health, finances, housing, and it's really hitting these people all at once, many of whom, as you mentioned, with the busing issue, were brought here against their will at armed guard um, from Texas, from, you know, New Mexico, from Arizona. They're being bused across the country with limited food and water on the buses. So they're already getting here in really bad physical shape. They're dumped out at Port Authority. As we saw, Eric Adams is trying to control when they come in. So now they're being dumped out in New Jersey and then being told to figure it out to get into New York City. Um, and yeah, it's just really a, an issue that is, um, that is solvable with the amount of resources that the city has, which is over 1500 millionaires that were added in the last two years. Right. The distribution of wealth in the city is, 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 um, it's darring. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about the details at Floyd Bennett Field for now. Um, so, uh, you know, as we explained, it's, it's one, you know, large tent housing 2000 people on cots, corrugated roofing and uh, plastic. And like, that's both hard plastic and soft plastics to create this structure, a uh, 30 minutes walk from the closest bus stop, um, um, you know, limited access to healthcare, uh, talk about recent, um, issues with the cold and with the rain and with the winds and the, um, I think parts of the structure came apart while people were in there. Um, yes. So they're in four separate tents. Uh, so it's about 500 per tent. Mm. Um, and then the bathrooms are actually outside. So after they use the restroom or they shower, they then have to go back into the cold, which can be very bad for your health to then go back into the shelter, which is not that warm because again, these tents, if you look up the pictures, they're basically like the kinds of tents that are rented for big weddings or parties. Um, the city says that they're stronger than that. Um, however, as we saw um, in the flooding in early January and then two weeks later when they were evacuated to James um, Madison High School in South Brooklyn, um, even the city doesn't really believe that this is a safe space to have people, again, living on a floodplain um, on radioactive contaminated ground um, in an active airfield. There are still planes that take off and land there. Uh, oh, with sirens. Yeah, yeah. Um, the hangar. Okay. They're at hangar 19, and I believe the active airfield is like hangar 8, like over on the, by the Ryan mm-hmm. Learning Center. Um, and so they, yeah, they are exposed to an active airfield. They're exposed to constant sirens. The children are not sleeping properly. Um, and then the buses either show up late or don't show up at all to take them to school in the morning. Like I said, the Q35 is the only bus stop on the entire peninsula. And then it's about a 20 minute, So it's a 30 minute walk to the bus and then about a 20 minute bus ride to quote unquote civilization to Kings, uh, Kings Highway, where they can um, finally get connected to the subway system. Uh, right. Um and this isn't the first time people have been pushed out to really the outskirts of the city. Um, if listeners remember, at first, um, you know, they tried to put people out on Orchard Beach. And then actually, since your organization, South Bronx Mutual Aid, posted a video showing that it was a flooding. After warnings of flooding, they finally set up the tents. And then they're like, oh, no, you're right. It's flooding too much. Uh, there are also a stint at Randall's Island. There's been a stint out near Red Hook at the Brooklyn Coast terminal, terminal. So these people get sh- keep getting shifted around to, like, the least desirable areas of the city. Um, but let's talk a little bit now um, before we go into sort of any more you know, ideological, <laughs> the way the city works, about the details of the people, about the shifting of the centers in um, in Manhattan and how intake has changed now with this 60-day families and 30-day single men rule. Um, you have, there's been a new site, which is that at the St. Br- what was the St. Bridget's Catholic Church, which is on Avenue B and 7th Street in uh, the Lower East Side. There are now long lines of people waiting to be uh 
either to, you know, get their ticket out of town or to, that have expired their 30 days and now are looking for a new place to, um, stay. Um, and essentially as reported by the city in December, those seeking a place to stay are, uh, are given a wristband with a number and that number has now reached over 10,000. Um, that was actually reported, um, by people we know on the ground and, um, the people that are waiting for cots uh, end up being spread out uh, across emergency shelters in the city um, if they're lucky. And so a lot of people end up just spending nights on the streets while they're waiting or in the trains um, or to maybe an overcrowded waiting room in the Bronx near Cortona Park, um, which is overseen by the city's Office of Emergency Management. Um, and, and you know, recently with the f- below freezing temperatures, the city has opened up some additional satellite waiting rooms. Um, where people, you know, might not be allowed to like, sleep on the floor or have any access to food. So um, we are in shambles. Um, you know, um, it does seem to some extent like the the city is manufacturing this level of discomfort. But tell me what you've been hearing about people waiting at St. Bridget's and what the other current location is. It's the Roosevelt? Yes. So on 31st. Exactly. The Roosevelt Hotel, which was also pretty much in the news last summer when we saw the big line of people outside in the city said, oh, wow, this is bad PR for us to have a bunch of migrants in Midtown sleeping on the streets. So maybe we should, you know, again, move them somewhere where they can be hidden. Um, What's really scary to me is that it's quite clear that the city has very little to no accounting of these people, of these children, of these families of these human beings, um, which, you know, on the one hand, we do kind of want that because, you know, they, they can weaponize those lists to hurt these people. But at the same time, um, it's quite clear that people are being lost, uh, falling through the cracks. So you said that they're sleeping on the subways. We already know based on the NYPD crackdown, it's, you know, illegal to fall asleep on a subway train. They will wake you up. They will ticket you. They will arrest you. Um, so the, we've also just saw this at the Supreme Court level. They're hearing a case right now to decide whether or not it's, it's legal to criminalize sleeping on the street. Um, and we're going to continue to see more and more unhoused people, not just migrants, but people who were born here, uh, especially yep. with long COVID, we're going to see more and more people with disabilities moving forward. And the goal is, seems to be criminalization of being unhoused. So the war, you know, the war on the unhoused way precedes um, the migrant influx, the migrants coming here. Um, and it, this is just an extension of that war on unhoused people, of that war on disabled people. Um, and there, but this community, this migrant community really highlights um, the injustice of it all. Right. Um, as you mentioned at St. Bridget's, migrants can receive a one-way ticket anywhere in the world they can pick it out on the map except for venezuela because that's the only place that we can't send planes to right now due to the ongoing sanctions they can literally pick anywhere in the world and receive a flight there and migrants are choosing not to why because they for the most part have given it all to get here if they're coming from south and central america if they're crossing the varial gap if they're crossing the southern border coyotes steal all of their money all of the money that they've spent and many times the migrant that you see represents a larger family back home and they were the youngest the strongest the one that was sent on that family's behalf to come here and try to save lives right to try to save the lives of family back home so there is nothing left they have most of the time they have sold all of their belongings they have sold their home they have liquidated everything into cash much of which was stolen on the way here or spent on the way here so um you know the city is trying to just like act like they're being humanitarian to offer a trip back home but for many people there is no home to go back to right that's the the definition of being an asylum seeker you can't go home right and like even if it's for economic hardship, people don't willingly leave their homes. People don't usually like willingly, you know, uh, leave a place that maybe their family has been for as long as they could ever possibly fathom. It's usually because the situation is so dire that you would risk death and potentially the death of your children on the trip up there 
to be in a place that's as safe as New York City. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's positive aspects of this, which we'll get into. But I do want to just ask you, Desiree, please, to give that detail. You said that um, with someone from the Mutual Aid Collective recently spoke with a family who had gone to St. Bridget's, who had waited in line and were turned away. Or you have an anecdote from... Yeah, so they went to Roosevelt. So this was actually a teacher at a local school in South Brooklyn, so just there, sorry to interrupt you for our listeners. There's two intake centers now. It's switched around. You have St. Bridget's and the, the East Village and Roosevelt in Midtown. Um, uh, yeah. So please. So this yeah. tried to get replaced at Roosevelt. Yeah. So these were families who had reached their stay limit at Floyd Bennett Field and they're expected to go from Floyd Bennett Field in Southeast Brooklyn somehow magically to either Lower East Side or to Midtown. Um, and so some of the uh, some of the wonderful faculty at some of the local schools in, some, in South Brooklyn were organizing rides and driving uh, representatives of these families to go and try and reapply for shelter. And when they arrived at Roosevelt, they were told that the family would not be reticketed or reassigned a shelter unless the whole family was there. So it's just another wasted day. Um, and when you only have a year to apply for asylum, those days start to add up and that time wasted starts to add up. Um, and just another hurdle that, you know, is not being effectively communicated by the city to any of the organizers. And we really, <laughs> we, you know, we, we do our best to stay on top of all the city's constant, um, merry-go-round of changes, um, but it's clear that from the attorneys from Legal Aid and from other community organizers that it's just not possible to keep up with these changing regulations, and we are, for the most part, you know, organizers that were born here <laughs> and, right. you know, speak English as a native language, and we can't uh, we can't overcome these uh, rule changes. Um, so, right. yeah, like you said, manufactured confusion and manufactured hardship. Right. And the reason we're saying, you know, manufactured, um, and this is something that hopefully if any, again, if any of our listeners want to call in around 540, we'll be taking calls uh, for people to join the conversation, but manufactured crisis, like, no, of course there are, like I said earlier, there are 150,000 people that have come here since June of 2022. And, you know, that's as high as, you know, you pointed out to me on the phone the other day, Desiree, that's as high as uh, the, you know, peak of migration at Alice Island. But, you know, will we look back at that in history as a positive thing. So migrants coming doesn't have to be a bad thing. A lot of times it's actually good for the economy when people can get housed quickly. You know, it, it, it can be a positive thing for a city and has been for New York. Um, and as how my family and your family and, you know, most people who, who lived here, came through here, got here, uh, uh, or in the country got here. Um, so, but it's being shifted as this negative thing now. And, you know, some people are wondering if Adams is making it just as difficult so difficult to make people leave because, you know, we had actually someone who used to work for the city office of budget, uh, Brandon West wrote an article for us um, recently that basically the projection of how much the migrants will spend is first of all, just inaccurate. You can look at the FOIA, the city public records and see that what the Adams is projecting to be, you know, the price of, of the migrant crisis crisis on the city uh, for the fiscal year 2024, which is why he's saying he has to make all these insane cuts um, to essential public services, everything except for public safety, um, you know, and blaming it on the migrants. Well, we had, you know, Brandon West, uh, budget analysts say that this is actually inaccurate, you know, that they're not going to, they haven't been costing as much as uh, he said that they would and that they've been using very wasteful contract vendors who aren't experienced with this type of work. And, you know, there really actually are no projected budget gaps in fiscal year 2024. So it all feels like it's this phase of the city where austerity is being implemented. I don't know. Why do you, why do you guys think what's, what's South Bronx mutual aids perspective on that? Because, you know, what's your take on it being, you know, a somewhat manufactured crisis? Yeah. I mean, it's just the wealthiest city in the world. Um, and the fact that they're weaponizing, um, proclaiming property when it's just not fiscally num numerically, it's not true. Um, 
are, like you said, migrant contracts being misused as a way to funnel money to subcontractors, as a way to embezzle money? Absolutely. We're seeing medical contracts. We're seeing uh, food contracts where the food is expired and moldy and they're still the, the providers are still charging $14 a meal. Um, as mutual aid organizers, that's unheard of. We literally have a distro that's going on tonight and all of the food was donated and all of the supplies were donated and we're going to feed several hundred people tonight with soup for maybe like 50 to 60 dollars max if you're actually counting like what we had to buy at the store um so and on top of that the food that's being served is not culturally sensitive a lot of the people are actually getting quite sick the children are getting quite sick um because the food is not nutritionally appropriate um and if you really wanted to save money why don't you have the migrants cook inside of their own shelters they're not allowed to cook for themselves hot plates rice cookers none of that is allowed um and like this mauritanian that you spoke to they don't like they don't want a handout Every single migrant you meet does like they, there's this narrative that like they're here to take, take, take. No, they want to work. They want to serve themselves. They want to provide for their own families and be left alone. Like if anyone thinks that like they're living some kind of like luxury life just because they are in these failing decommissioned hotels, the row hotel went into bankruptcy and the only reason that it's being used right now as a migrant shelter is because we bailed out the landlord with millions and millions of dollars and this contract pays her like two hundred dollars per unit per day um so again this is you know we don't actually need to build more housing for these migrants we have more empty units than unhoused people in new york city but if the landlord wants a credit check first and last month's rent and, a, you know, a deposit, how are the migrants supposed to come up with that when they're not allowed to work, when the NYPD is impounding their scooters and bicycles, thousands of scooters and bicycles impounded by the NYPD, that the only reason the migrants have is because they worked on foot delivering food to get the bicycle and then get the, the moped. Um, and so now you've taken away their only way to work. You want $400 for each moped to unimpound it if the NYPD is even okay with unimpounding that particular vehicle. So, um, yeah, it, I think that the roadblocks and the setbacks that the city is dealing to people are just so multifaceted. You know, they don't have money for the subway and they're trying to go to work and then you give them a $150 ticket. And, 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 <laughs> We'll compound this and just, you know, we're going to go to a music break here just to give everyone a heads up, but something to sit with while you listen to the music break to compound this all. Like one thing we didn't really get into, but I'll mention here quickly is that Desiree's comrades and other mutual aid groups uh, are working with the mutual aid collective to support migrants um, over, you know, the past 18 months have been repeatedly um, approached by the NYPD or private security at uh, different shelter buildings, most recently actually by the feds at Floyd Bennett Field, um, threatened with arrest for attempting to distribute needed goods to these people, food, clothing, um, hygiene products. And meanwhile, the city is saying that they can't they can't afford to help the people anymore, but they all they can afford to ticket the people who want to help. So on that note. <laughs> We're going to go to a quick music break, and we'll be right back with more of the Independent News Hour with Desiree Joy Frias of South Bronx Mutual Aid. We're very grateful to be Oh, yeah. We have suffered our home. 
that was Black Man's World by the incredible Alton Ellis, uh, one of my favorite reggae songs. And this is Amba Gargarian with the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming on WBAI.org. Um, uh, moving on, you know, I wanted to give everybody an update about, uh, Crown Heights Tenant Union Rally, uh, that I attended this morning. So this morning, tenants at 567 St. John's Place in Crown Heights held a rally and press conference to demand HPD make needed repairs at their building. Because a year and a half ago, the tenants, who are members of Crown Heights Tenant Union, won a case with the city that actually ceded control of that building from the landlord to HPD due to proven long-term neglect on the landlord Gerald Tima's part. Um, and the tenants are now demanding the city use some of the $700,000 in an account and has from a lien it took out on that landlord, which is set aside to make repairs in that building and it has been sitting in an account now for six months. They won the case a year and a half ago um, and nothing has really changed except for the fire escape, and the paint on the outside, so the facade. So the tenants are demanding that some of that money gets used now and the HPD makes the repairs. They have typical, you know, gaping leaks, mold, bed bugs, lice, rats, sorry, mice, rats, uh, and cockroaches, of course. Uh, and so here are the tenants rallying today, stating loud and clear who they are. No justice, no rent, no peace, 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 everywhere we go, everywhere we go, people want to know, people want to know. All right, those were members of the Crown Heights Tenant Union uh, and their supporters at 567 St. John's Place today in Crown Heights, where a building under the control of the city continues to be neglected. And so that their, their current aim is to get those repairs made, but they have a sort of bigger, more grandiose aim, which is actually to take control of their building rather than just have it be auctioned to, and sold to another, you know, a potential slumlord. So the... You know, I, I'm bringing this up to update you all, but also because there's, you know, almost total intersection with what I've been talking about here, which is the migrant, you know, somewhat manufactured crisis in New York City. And I'm speaking with Desiree Joy Frias of South Bronx Mutual Aid, which is just one of the groups in a mutual aid collective that has been doing quite a bit to support um, migrants arriving recently here in, in the past 18 months. So talk about how the goals of these tenants Desiree, which is to be in control of their own housing um, in order to live better lives, in order to have a, a better upkeep kept. You know, they're saying we don't really need, you know, industry to be involved in this. How does that overlap with the goals of um, South Park Mutual Aid and then the migrants who are arriving and, and the mutual aid organizers that are working with them? Yeah, so as a mutual aid collective, our vision and what we work towards is liberation for everyone. So I don't actually care if you're born here or not. I don't actually care how long we've been in New York City. Um, I think that everyone deserves a right to housing, to food, to health, um, to a dignified life. Um, and that's that's actually what the American dream is. That's actually what New York is about. Um, and, you know, I think that another, you know, a, a, another reason why they call it a migrant crisis, why they tap into this racism and this xenophobia is to turn low-income New Yorkers, many of whom are people of color themselves, against recent arrivals to make us scrap amongst each other down in the dirt over the tiny bit of scraps that the um, elite throw down for us to eat. Um, and I think that that internal struggle, that war that we're fighting against each other, keeps our eyes pointed at each other and not looking up. 
not keeping our eyes on that landlord who, like you said, for decades um, took advantage of these tenants in Crown Heights throughout the city. These slumlords who for decades have, you know, in the 1970s and 80s set buildings intentionally on fire in the Bronx uh, with people still inside to collect insurance money. So when low-income people, when the working class is fighting amongst ourselves, the ruling class gets to eat their caviar on toast in peace and, you know, continue to remain in power. And so I think it's extremely important for everyone to join a union at their job, everyone to join the tenant union where they live, for working class people to organize together and to really recognize that, like, the migrants coming here, they may not look like you, but as working class people, we are one unit and we have to start acting that way. If not, the landlords will continue to oppress us. The bosses will continue to oppress us. And they'll find new ways to do it. I mean, like you said, they won the lawsuit already. When have you heard of tenants winning a lawsuit against their landlord? But now it doesn't matter because the changes have not been put into place. Because Housing and Preservation Development, HPD, has no teeth, has no way to really force these landlords to enact these legally passed requirements. Um, So the landlord's going to keep doing what they're doing. Until, like you said, the tenants rise up and hopefully I I hope that they get full control of their building, um, turn it into a cooperative so that they can create some of the beautiful, some of the best housing in New York City is, is housing cooperatives where the tenants are in control. They make all the decisions um, and they can live in peace without um, exploitation for the money from these landlords. So all of these struggles are inherently tied. Um, And when they tell you, oh, the migrants are here to take your jobs. No, they're not. No, they're not. There's more than enough jobs for everybody. And a lot of the jobs that are being, you know, ended is because of maximizing profit. So the S&P 500 just had their most raucous year, their most profitable year last year. Um, So this whole, um, it's a manufactured crisis in the economy, inflation, right? They caught the increase in prices. Uh, this is manufactured by the companies for profit. They are making the most profit that they ever have in their life. And wages are down. And how much we have to provide for our families is down on purpose. So. Right. The migrants, uh, what the, the, the crumbs that the migrants are getting is not, um, is, are not even, you know, um, resources that were being delegated to other people in need, unfortunately. Um, but divide and conquer has been the name of the game for a long time. But I think that what you all are doing at South Bronx Mutual Aid to kind of like fight that notion and to get the people who would be divided and conquered instead to um, work together to sort of, you know, meet people's most basic needs, but then also meet people's sort of um, spiritual, psychological needs for community, friendship, et cetera, is really great. So just tell us a little bit for people who are like, they keep talking about this mutual aid collective. Like, what exactly is that? And, uh, the, you know, the, the work you do and how people can get involved. And then we're yeah. going to have callers, listeners calling. So uh, get ready. You can start calling in now while Desiree actually answers this last, qu- last question. It's uh, 212-209-2877. So please call in if you'd like to join the conversation, share any thoughts, comments on uh, what we've been talking about with uh, the the migrants here in New York City. Um, that's uh, 212-209-2877. But for now, Desiree, on the Mutual Aid Collective, what you do, how people can get involved. Yeah, so in Mutual Aid, we take what little we have and we share it with other people. Um, so we create collections for coats, for luggage. Those are the two biggest needs right now. We also provide food. As I said, the food in the shelters is inadequate. Um, you can reach us by going to sbxma.com. Again, that's sbxma.com. Um, there you can connect with us to become a volunteer. Um, we always need drivers. We always need people to show up and do distribution. Um 
And it's just really great to be in community with people. Um, they're setting up games on Saturday of football for the kids. Um, you know, there's just a lot of ways that everyone has capacity to give. If you do have money, we have an open collective where you can see every dollar that's come into our organization and exactly where it's being spent with receipts. Um, so that's, yeah, that's pretty much as a whole mutual aid. We, you know, we take what we have and there is an abundance in New York city. That's one of the best parts of living in New York. There is more than enough resources for everyone between food waste, between corporations waste. There is enough resources for everyone. And we just have to make sure that it's distributed to people in need. Right. And you also have an app uh, for people, mostly for people looking for resources, right? Ayuda and for anyone. Yeah. For anyone in the city who needs resources, it's called ayuda.nyc, A-U-A-Y-U-D-A dot N-Y-C, A-Y-U-D-A dot N-Y-C. It's in, I think, eight or nine different languages, including English. And there you can be connected to the wealth of knowledge we've acquired in the past few years um, of where to find food, where to find housing, where to find clothing resources, Um, because there are a lot of community organizations across the city that provide these. But many of them don't have social media. Many of them don't have um, kind of, you know, a budget for a huge marketing campaign. Um, So it's just all about connecting people to the resources. With the computer science whiz that was a part of South Bronx Mutual Aid, put, they put together, you know, an app at ayuda.nyc, A-Y-U-D-A uh, dot N-Y-C. If you don't need it yourself, maybe somebody um, you know does. Uh, so we are taking callers. I don't think we have anyone rating right now. But again, that's 212-209-2877. What do you think of all this? What do you think about, you know, the fact that the city's trying to you know, or not just the city, but, you know, those in power in in the city, in the in the state, in the country, in the world, divide and conquer. And how can we fight back against this? It's like the number one thing kind of against working against marginalized people. It's a simple thing, but it's what MLK was bringing up at this top of the mountain speech, you know, that he was, you know, um, not shot for giving, but they killed, you know, really shortly after having given, um, you know, trying to wake people up that uh, working class people, people of color, immigrants, et cetera, are being divided and conquered. And if we can rise up um, and stop fighting for the scraps, as you say, uh, that we might have power. Um, So, you know, but while we're waiting for people to come on, um, one thing I thought that we could talk about uh, was the positive impact of, you know, new migrant communities coming toward the city. You know, um, we talk about the fear and the jobs and where are people going to stay, where are people going to work, all this stuff. The city's already so crowded, but in reality, there are plenty of empty units. Downtown is empty. Downtown is empty. Downtown is empty. There's a lack of migrant communities. There's going to be new economies. You know, there's going to be new food, new restaurants, um, new bustle. And I think that it's that vibrancy that makes New York, New York. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Like the positive side and how we can, you know, reinvigorate the city. Yeah. I was born and raised here in New York City. So obviously I recognize that due to redlining and gentrification, so many migrant communities have been pushed out of parts of New York City. I mean, Look at Chinatown, where they're about to build a giant new jail that the community's fighting against. Um, downtown is is dead, right? You walk downtown around the Richfield NYC, but I think, think we have a caller holding. Do we have a caller, Reggie? Okay, started at any time. Okay, caller, um, give us your name if you'd like to share that and where you're calling from and and what you want to say. Hi, it's uh, Cruz from Central Harlem, uh, lifelong New Yorker. Um, I totally agree with all the work, because I've also worked for nonprofits, very grassroots nonprofits. Um, but the people who get the cameras shown on them are not you ladies. or, And I don't know if you guys are part of the network of the more established ones that get the cameras put in front of them, right? 
the things that you were just stating, right, not the, so much the, hey, I got to walk 30 minutes because guess what? When you live in East New York, that's reality, right? Because the transportation services, one, is not reliable. Um, so people that live on the outskirts of the outer boroughs, they, that is a normal problem for them, right? So maybe making the correlation, right, with the uh, low wealth and working classes so they can relate. Because, again, they feel, and you stated it, that they feel that the their um, little bit of resources or quality of life things are being taken from them to take care of another group of people that are in the same boat. So you're like crabs in a barrel, which is something you just stated before I came on. So I think the messaging has to be stronger in the somehow getting it to the corporate. And that's going to require you all to step on the feet of some of these people that used to be on the city council or now are the heads of these very so-called uh, non-profits, grassroots-serving organizations that are making these six-figure salaries, which I know none of you are, okay? So, yeah, that you're going to have to battle with those people that are what we used to term back in the 90s as poverty pimps, okay, that perpetrate and use poor people's issues to... Um, put wealth in their pockets and give peanuts to the workers like yourselves that do the grassroots work. So thank you for right. listening to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Quince. And yeah, I think, uh, I think it'll be important to show people like, like, as I was saying before, like the amount that the mayor's cutting out the 5% cuts he's making every uh, department other than public service departments make, you know, it's not, it's way more than what they're saying the migrant crisis costs, you know? So, but what do you have to say about that, Desiree? Anything before we take one more caller? Yeah, we absolutely feel like we're in direct opposition to, um, specifically to groups in the nonprofit industrial complex that uh, take money and then spend it on administrative costs that take money. And then migrants get, go to these organizations and get turned away for services. Um, so everyone has to do more with less, right? Because that's the, that's the narrative of this, of this time in the economy, but we're not seeing that from a lot of the nonprofit organizations. Um, and, and it does ask the question, you know, you've been a nonprofit organization in a community for 30 years. Why hasn't the average median income changed at all? Why hasn't any of the structural issues been addressed? Right. Why do people continue to live in these really horrible conditions? Uh, and you know, you've taken millions and millions and millions of dollars in contracts. So I, yeah, I definitely don't think that, you know, more nonprofit groups are the answer. I don't think that more elected officials are the answer. I do think that the only thing that's going to lead to our collective liberation is the collectivization of the working class through mutual aid, serving each other. And let's take our next caller. We have, uh, we were granted a couple more minutes by the station, just heads up. For everybody who is with us or listening, um, so we'll, we can take maybe a couple more callers. So let's take one more caller now. Your name, yes, I, where you're calling from, what you want to say. Yeah, Christian from the Bronx. No Christian one from the Bronx. About, yes, actually, I yeah, I heard I um <clears throat> I I heard this program months ago, and I did contact the South Bronx um mutual aid committee. No one has talked about this. Um, they want to put all these migrants in shelters. What the what these mayors should have done? They should have, you know, suggested any any um, residents within Chicago, New York, that want to host a migrant. That would take a tremendous load off, um, you know, the shelters and people trying to, you know, you know, give themselves brain fog trying to figure out where to put these migrants. They did. They are doing that, actually. Um, 
I don't know how much funding there is for that program. And I don't know if you know more about it than I do, Desiree, but I actually we have a story upcoming in the upcoming issue of the independent that's going to detail um, one family that has done that. And, you know, it's kind of like a foster child situation when you get a little bit of money. Um, but I think, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have, the I issue is I have, I have a one bedroom and um, I'm single with no kids. Um, and because um, of, I live in the Bronx, and the property tax and and the maintenance costs. Even if you own an apartment, you know we have to pay maintenance and property tax is really killing me. And I have a right. auto insurance. I have other bills too, so I could use two migrants. I have space for two migrants because, like you said, they're willing. To, these people want to work because it's in it's in their DNA. Because no one's going to let you stay in the house for free. But that you know these people that come overseas, they have a lot of pride. They want to work. People say they're lazy. That's that that that's a lie. Right. Well, thank you, Christian, from the Bronx. Um, any response to that, Desiree? Yeah, so one of my main concerns is actually, you know, I, I'm glad that you really have this, like, heart, but um, there are a lot of people who would do it with bad intentions. And we actually saw this in England when they took in refugees from Ukraine into their homes. It actually led to a lot of sexual assault, to a lot of forced labor, to slavery, um, where people were actually, like, being held against their will in these properties. Um, so it would just, it's extremely difficult to screen people and to protect people, um, from this kind of harm, even if there are really great people like Chris who, who want to serve and who, who would benefit, like you mentioned, um, uh, financially, you know, from having someone to room with. Um, but unfortunately those kinds of programs can also lead to exploitation. Right. And it's beautiful, Chris, what you're saying, cause you're like, you know, this is how people can help, help each other, help each other, make it work. Um, there's a lot of solutions that I think could be taken other than those that are being taken now. Next caller. Let's, let's go for it. We're going to take our last caller. Um, so if, are you with us caller? Yes. Hi. Are you, can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, we can hear yeah. your name and where you're calling from and, and what you'd like to share. Dave from Queens. I just want to say, um, I feel, you know, that there's, you know, a lot of migrants who are running away, you know, trying to create a new, a new life. But also, there are, unfortunately, in the red states, there are a lot of uh, lack of social safety nets, like especially in Florida. Um, I do everything possible to, you know, I'm thinking about uh, putting up a website about all, you know, services that New York City provides. It's just amazing. And, you know, try to get people even, like, set up a non, you know, not even a nonprofit, a go directly, which is like sending, I've, I've done this to veterans and, you know, Hey, don't live in Florida. Come here. I, I even send them, you know, a plane fare, um, you know, and, and come here. There's so much services here. And, and you don't have to be in other horrible states uh, like, you know, like the red states of Florida who give nothing. It's just like you're on your own. Well, thank you, caller, so much. Uh, that's our cue. We're hearing uh, New York, I, I Love You, But You're Bringing Me Down by LCD Sound System, one of my favorite songs. It's an appropriate time of year. And in response to that caller, yes, New York City is, in the co- context of this country, a safe haven for people. And that's why people are coming here. And let's continue to make it be that way. So people like Desiree Joy Frias with South Bronx Mutual Aid and the Mutual Aid Collective are doing that. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Desiree. And listeners, uh, come back on for Revolutions per minute 7 p.m to 8 p.m to hear desiree with her own show to the cops who were born once they'd run out of 